Welcome to Coach Hub Spark Leadership Podcast, a platform devoted to exploring the future of work through coaching and behavioral change. This season, we'll be sharing in-depth conversations with some of the world's brightest psychologists, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and thought leaders. We'll cover hot business topics such as organizational transformation, women in leadership, executive coaching, and navigating work in today's market. I'm your host this week, Matti Niebelschütz, co-founder and CEO of CoachUp. Today, I will be speaking with Lachwana Chambers-Lawson. She is the CEO of Tacit Growth Strategy, a leading project management office and consulting firm in the US. She's also an international best-selling author, serial entrepreneur and social justice advocate. Welcome to the show, Lachwana. Thank you so much, Matty. I'm excited to connect with you today, especially since we are having a conversation CEO to CEO. And I assume many of our listeners are also in leadership roles. And unfortunately, we don't often get the chance to talk to and learn from one each other. So really happy to talk to you in this format today. I suggest let's jump directly in and let's start a conversation around talent development. So as a leader, like you, with so many things on your plate, why do you think it's still important to take an active role in ensuring that your teams are offered impactful professional development? Professional development, especially that's impactful, really does set your team up for success. For our team at Tacit Growth Strategies, we have to be very serious about providing professional development pretty often, I would say every week, at least, you know, an hour a week for our employees to not only, you know, get out of their own silos, but then also have an opportunity to sort of think differently about the work that they're doing. Sort of, you know, stay on top of the market and stay on top of the industry trends to figure out, you know, what sorts of new technologies or existing things, you know, legacy technologies that may actually help or support the client in a way that we didn't consider before, and what are some of the things that might be considered aspirational? Maybe the client can't necessarily budget for it right now, but you know we can you know help them look for opportunities for funding that may actually get them where they're trying to go with that particular you know solution. So professional development has to be very much a part of everything that we do. I think for me, I am probably spending at least 30 minutes of my day learning every single day like structured time that I take off intentionally in the afternoon at three o'clock. It's time blocked on my calendar. <laughs> What a great practice. I love it. Spend 30 minutes a day on learning. And while you are a CEO, I'm a CEO, and we're talking about talent development, and we both agree that this is really key in an, in an organizational and personal development. Why do you think it is a CEO priority to focus on? Why can't someone else in the organization push topics like this? We have to lead by example, because once you get into organizational context, especially like ours, a lot of our team members are not going to be working on the same projects. They're not going to be working on the same programs. And because, you know, they end up becoming these very sort of entrenched subject matter experts, they tend to naturally silo, right? And so in order to bust the silo, the CEO really has to take on that charge of, hey, guys, 
this is how we're going to continue to not only be able to relate to one another across multiple functions and across disciplines, but also be able to continue to sort of, you know, grow our skill sets and not take anything for granted. Because that's what ends up happening a lot of times is we get so comfortable knowing what we know, not realizing that industries are changing. Everything is changing, right? The technologies that we use are constantly changing. Uh, You know, the economics, the trends are changing. Everything is changing. So we have to continue to remain receptive and agile and nimble enough to be able to, you know, adapt to those changes as they come, but then also lead that change. You know, there's a lot of opportunity, especially for us as a project management office, to lead the change, especially for our clientele, right? So a lot of times our clientele are used to having a board of directors that really don't do much to support the organization. You know, they're not out there, you know, sort of beating the pavement to make sure that there's uh, sponsorships and, and fundraising opportunities. You know, they're sort of just sitting on the board quietly, just rubber stamping everything that the CEO uh, or the board chairman wants, right? And that is not a functioning board. And so a lot of times when we come in, we're like, hey, well, let me show you what you can do. What can you consider that will help? I know you all are busy as board members and, you know, your staff and your leadership are busy as well. How do we bring things together so that it's not a burden? It's something that you naturally do, you know, every day or every week. And it's just another component of work that we can add to your day to day, something that you're already comfortable with doing. So that's a lot of the work that we're doing. And it requires really for me as a CEO to be able to to lead in constantly growing our expertise as a company, constantly growing our capacity. That's what it boils down to. That absolutely makes sense. And you were mentioning one topic that um, is especially interesting. You mentioned many of the board members, they are always busy. And I can agree, board members are always busy, as are many CEOs and uh, many executives. What do you tell these CEOs, these board members who say, you know what, I'm just too busy to dedicate enough time for professional development? And I hear this often. When I hear this, essentially telling me that when you wake up in the morning, you don't pick up a newspaper with your coffee. Mm -hmm. That's how I hear the question. It's always interesting when I hear it because I'm like, there's no way that you just told me this. (laughs) Because there's so much professional development opportunity. But see, we have to be able to explain to them what professional development looks like, right? The first thing that I like to do is ask them, so when I say professional development to you, what does that look like? What does that entail? And if they come back and say, you know, I have to go to Austin, Texas for three days and learn uh, SAS, right, <laughs> or UX or no, that's not that's not what we're saying here. We're asking you just maybe 30 minutes of your time because a lot of our clients are going to have, you know, access to things like Coursera or LinkedIn Learning you know, multiple platforms that are online uh, that offer you professional development with, you know, fantastic professionals, you know, entrepreneurs, CEOs like you, Maddie, right? So the opportunities exist, they're there. It's just a matter of us demystifying for our leaders what that looks like and how they can get access to those things. What a great takeaway, demystify learning and development and really dedicate 30 minutes per day for continuous learning 
no excuses. Amazing. I would love to deep dive even more on your experience with executives. What top struggles do you currently see executives are having in today's world? I like to say that the top struggle that I'm noticing with most of our executive clients is that there is this like shiny object syndrome. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's FOMO. It's that fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. And this fear of missing out, it's almost setting a lot of these executives up in a, a cycle. They're stuck in this cycle of everything being urgent, but nothing is important. Like everything is urgent. Everything's got to get done right now, but there's no prioritization. There's no ranking. It's just whatever has the most pressing deadline, go for it. <laughs> and so these executives are being set up to where burnout is very obvious. And you as an individual cannot lead all of this work. You have to trust your team and surrender to this notion of everything is going to be all right in its time. And I'm not going to, you know, struggle with the struggle. I'm going to surrender and I'm going to be like water. I'm going to aspire to boil the water in my cup and not the ocean. I'm boiling the water in my cup and not the ocean. <laughs> That is an interesting recommendation. I would love to deep dive on this and, and what it means to you. What do you mean by being like water? How would you address these challenges? For me, being like water in that context is... Let's work on this as a democracy, right? This is a democratic decision that we're making. And whatever that decision is, we're going to all sort of pour into this one cup. And this one cup is what's going to nourish us all. You know, so that way, as things are changing, you are not, you know, doing the knee jerk reaction of, oh, let me go this direction or let me go that direction. It's that steadfastness, that commitment to this decision that we made together as a team, let us continue along this path and just understand that the opportunities that are for us are coming to us in their time. We're not missing out on anything. That's really what it's about. Because if you're constantly just squirrel, 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 and you find yourself just going after, I say in air quotes, the opportunity as it arises, then you're always going to be shaken off of your foundation. You're constantly going to be finding yourself falling off your foundation. And that's what's going to result in you losing your way. And once you've lost your way, you lose everything else. You've got to have that steadfastness. You've got to be committed. That makes so much sense. You got to be committed. You got to have focus. You got to create alignment. You were talking about how a leader can and should cope with stress, to be like water, to have a notion of surrender. Now, what I would like to deep dive is a leader in collaboration with their own people. How can a leader earn confidence and trust from their employees, from their people? This is a tough one, right? Because the reality is that in most of our work environments, there is going to be this sort of tacit expectation that the leader is not necessarily going to be in dialogue or constant communication or frequent communication with everyone that works at the organization. They may only be in constant or frequent communication with just the, the other executive leadership staff or executive leadership team. There's a lot of magic that comes with having a little bit of space between 
yourself as the CEO, the executive director, the president, et cetera, and your other team members, right, that are not necessarily going to be working with you every day. That space is important because you need the organization to function when you're not at your best. And what I've come to find is when I first started the company and I was very accessible, you know, I was with my team every single day. We shared an office. You know, we talked all the time. We went to lunch together, et cetera. We had some great relationships that came from that, of course. But the issue comes into place when you hire that VP, right? When you hire that COO. Once you start to hire your other executive team members, there's got to be a reorganization almost in our minds, especially of not only just the work and the scope, but then also just sort of like the communication channels. And I tell people all the time when they come to work for us, you don't want to talk to me every day (laughs) (laughs) because there's going to be days where you're going to talk to me and it's going to be all awesome and it's all great. And I sound positive and I'm optimistic. And then the next day you're going to catch me and I'm going to be like, you know what? The sky is falling. I mean, you don't want to talk to me every day. That's all I'm saying. So there's that level, but then also there's the work. There's so much time that you lose in your day when you're trying to be all to everyone. And that's what I've learned as well, is you really have to conserve your energy and make sure that you're focusing that energy on what keeps everyone employed, what keeps everyone in the office, right? That's what's most important. So you have to be able to balance not only being there for your people, but also making sure that you're doing what you have to do to make sure that everybody has a place to come that's safe and, you know, that's fulfilling and that pays the bills and gives them the benefits, the healthcare benefits, et cetera, that they need. So you are saying there is space between senior leadership and um, the remaining organization. And you say, this is good. People don't necessarily want to work closely with you every single day. But what you're saying is focus, focus, focus. I think this is a great learning. Let's shift gears a little bit. I would love to hear your perspective on DEIB. And I know you're a, a big ambassador for social justice. What do you think is a CEO's role? when it comes to setting the standards and practices for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in a company? So really quick story. I got invited to a business meeting with other executives here in the state of Texas by the governor's office. I got to the meeting and I I brought my husband And I sort of, you know, went around the room. I was networking. I wanted to get to know everyone and learn about their businesses. And so I'm shaking hands and I'm introducing myself. And actually, it was one person that I went to go and shake their hand. And they essentially, like, looked to the left. (laughs) And they turned their back on me. And after that happened, and, you know, this happens a lot. You don't really pay attention to it. But this happens a lot where women will come into a room. And, of course, the space will be dominated mostly by men. And as a woman business owner, you don't get that same respect and that same, like, you know, I rarely hear someone refer to me as a serial entrepreneur. That's just not something that you commonly hear as it relates to women, especially African-American black women. And so I'm coming into this space and I'm shaking all these hands and I'm looking around and I'm realizing very quickly that they don't see me the way that I see them. So my husband's there with me and everybody's like, so what business are you guys in? 
And my husband is, you know, he's like, well, my wife has her own business and I have my own business. We're not in business together, but thanks for <laughs> thanks for inquiring. I'm here for her. You might want to ask her about her business, right? Like that's that was not the assumption, of course. So for the work that we do as women, as African-American Black women, most of my team has always been women. You know, I've had a few men come on, but most everyone that's come to work for us has been women. And so it's just beautiful when you come to these, you know, executive spaces, right? And you see this one table of just women of color, you know, it's powerful. It's not just having that one or two people that are, you know, sort of checking off of a, a box. These are the women who are leading the change in our community. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that conversation is being led by these women and they are doing the work. So it's a very beautiful space. It's interesting for me because it's hard for me to really put words on it because this is what we've been doing since 2018. But I know that in our community, especially, our presence is very significant because you do not see women in our space, in our industry, be able to actually have the impact that we've had. You know what I mean? That is powerful. So everywhere we go, we try to make sure that not only is the conversation had around who's being invited, you know, who's actually contributing Who's part of planning? Who's part of execution? You know, who's part of leadership? We have these conversations everywhere we go. And as a project management office, all of our templates, like when we actually put together our teaming templates and our strategic partnership templates and things of that sort, our ecosystem maps, all of those include these questions of who's involved, who's contributing, right? What types of backgrounds are these people coming from? You know, we always have those built into the work that we do. So it's not just a conversation. These uh, organizations that we're working with, it's a part of their planning. It's a part of their implementation plans. Thank you so much for sharing your own experience coming in the room and people not seeing you the way you see them. And thanks for leading by example as female CEO of Color. What would be a very practical advice? What can other CEOs, CEOs of larger organizations do to prevent situations like this? I think it's terrible. We need diversity, equity. We need inclusion. We need belonging. And we need to treat and see everyone equally. What can CEOs do to turning this world and workplaces maybe a little bit more into a place that we envision? I would say pay attention to who you listen to. Pay attention to the books that you're reading. What are the names of the people that you're reading a book from? You know, do they have names that are complicated? <laughs> <laughs> Or, right? Those are basic things that we can start to do. So that way we become more familiar with people from different backgrounds. So familiar is tricky because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where, you know, you're walking into a room and you, you see a person that has darker skin And you assume that they're black or African-American and you say, you know, what up, my sister? And it's like, well, wait, you know, no, take it back. Right. Or if you see someone who's, you know, Hispanic or Latino or Latina and the conversation comes around like, you know, like you can't. There's certain things we can't say in certain contexts because we're not, you know, a part of that community. So that level of familiarity is that's not right. So you want to be able to broaden your horizons 
but do it in a way where you're respectful of people's boundaries and respectful of the fact that just because you read from this one particular author from this community, that perspective of that author is not going to be the perspective of everyone that's in that community, right? So that's what I think we can take away. The practical thing is to pay attention to who you're listening to, pay attention to who you're reading from, pay attention to who you quote. You know, I always tell people, like, be mindful if you're on Twitter, et cetera, and you're quoting people. If you're only quoting Peter Drucker, that's a problem. Like, you should be quoting women who are executives, right? You should be quoting people who have complicated names. You should be, you know, quoting people from a different faith. Always be open to realizing that none of us have all the answers to the questions. There is no capital T truth most of the time. And so because there isn't this sort of absolute in anything that we have or anything that we know on this earth, we have to be open. And if we ever stop learning or if we're, you know, closing ourselves off, then that is death. Anything that you close off will starve and it will die. Our minds, our spirits have to remain open so that we can be the best person that we can be in our lifetime. And of course, so that we can do what needs to be done to help make lives better and ease burdens in our own communities. What a great message to all leaders out there who ask themselves, how can I transform my organization? How can I embrace more diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging within my organization? The message is start with yourself. Pay attention to who you're listening to. And this kind of reminds me of the words of Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. What a great conclusion. We've already come to an end of our program today. I know times flies, but there's always one question that we like to ask our guest. So I have this question for you. What is the most profound takeaway you've discovered from talking to a coach? I would say the most profound takeaway that I've gotten from talking to a coach has been don't walk in this alone. Don't walk in life alone. Don't walk in entrepreneurship alone. Don't walk in your personal life alone. And I've always, since I was a kid, I've always had a coach. I've always had mentors. And those people have shaped my life. They've shaped my mind. They've shaped my understanding of the world. And I owe so much of my being, <laughs> my success to my village. And that's exactly what a coach is to me, right? The coach is, is a, a member of my village that, um, you know, helps to keep me focused and keeps me, you know, rooted in, in gratitude and helps to keep me aligned to my purpose and my vocation on this earth. Thank you to our guest, Lachwana Chambers Lawson. It's been great speaking with you. You can find Lachwana's book, Master Grand Writing, a project manager's guide on Amazon. And be sure to check out her podcast, Real Management Talk with LJ and Jocelyn. And thank you for listening to Spark Leadership Podcast. Please join us in two weeks for the next episode. You can subscribe to Spark Leadership on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to learn more about CoachUp programs for your organization, please connect with us at coachup.com.